You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. One of our sponsors of the Dairy Voice podcast is National DHIA. NDHIA ensures information accuracy and represents their members' interests. They are the direct voice for the dairy information industry. To find out more, go to dhia.org. Well, welcome to Dairy Voice. This is your host, Joel Hastings, and we have a very special guest with us here today, Krista Harden, the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, is uh, celebrating almost her first anniversary in that role. She's had a very exciting, and I think the industry has had a very exciting 2021, and we're going to talk about that, as well as uh, some of the challenges, and, and we'll do a look ahead as well. Well, Krista Harden, welcome to Dairy Voice again. Just give us a little bit of an overview from your perspective of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, maybe your elevator speech, if you will. <laughs> well, it may have to be a long ride to the top, Joel, because we're, we're um, an interesting industry organization that I think is unique because we bring every single dairy farmer who participates in the checkoff to the table with 114 or 15 different companies, manufacturers, cooperatives of dairy and dairy products, exporters, collateral supporters of our industry together under one one roof, if you will, and that's the U.S. Dairy Export Council. We were started by farmers 26 years ago and exports were only about 2%. And we were just exporting kind of whatever we had left over. And this organization really grew and worked closely with our industry, with our farmers to create um, an organization that helps open the doors around the world for dairy, um, for dairy products. So we don't actually sell anything except image, reputation, the ability to have access to our members. And then they go into a market head to head sometimes to make sure that U.S. is that source of choice. So we are... Some folks say we're the warm-up band. I say that we're we're providing the, all the expertise, all the information, the data that's needed in critical markets, so um, our companies can go in and compete, and they're very successful in doing that. So it's a great organization. We're the first, often the first entry, entry, um, entree into um, a market for our members. And, you know, a call um, from anywhere in the world to say, hey, I'm interested in being, you know, buying something from the U.S., sort, you know, be sourced from the U.S. It could be whey, it could be lactose, it could be cheese, you name it. And we can give them a list of our members who would, you know, be able to fill those orders. So I hope that um, all your listeners recognize that the, the scope and the reach of the U.S. Dairy uh, Export Council is broad, it is as only as good as our dairy farmers and our dairy industry. So I, I think we have the best folks um, coming together to, to grow export. It has been a year. February 24th was my year anniversary of being president and CEO. So I'm, I'm well into my second year now, at least by a couple of weeks. Let's talk about the unusual times when you uh, assumed your uh, assumed your new responsibilities. What were some of the challenges that you were facing, and particularly in, in light of the global pandemic? And yet, U.S. exporters managed to uh, send nearly $8 billion in exports of dairy out of the country in 2021, uh, which is an all-time record. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, tell us some of the highlights and, and some of the successes. 
Well, Joel, it, you know, I think we're still, um, you know, coming out of the recovery. I think maybe the health recovery, we're in a better place across the globe, but there is also a financial and economic recovery that we're still in, and we're still feeling that um, across our industry and certainly around the, the around the world as we export. But I think just we take back, uh, take a step back and look at 2021, and you mentioned the numbers. It was an 18% increase in value, which means we're you know a, around about 18% of production, frankly, of U.S. Dairy milk solid equivalents is being exported. So that's just such, you know, extreme, you're right, record in spite of some of the headwinds that we did face around the world in certain markets, um, certainly with our transportation issues and port congestion, an even recovery across the globe. We were happy to see, you know, good friends like Mexico be able to rebound their tourism numbers were up, they started buying again, but it was uneven, you know, across the globe. So I think we're still adjusting, but even with all the difficulties, even with those headwinds, as I mentioned, with ports, supply chain, COVID recovery, I'm just so proud of our industry who really rallied. We pivoted, we were nimble. A diversification of markets, I think, showed our investments over the last several years and a variety of different locations um, made a difference. And so really, we had volume increases almost across the board in all of, all of our products that we export. On the flip side, you've already referred to some of the challenges, but, but what did you feel were the biggest challenges that you had to overcome and maybe some that are still with us uh, as you look ahead? Well, for last year, it was recovery. I mean, it it clearly um, was just this uneven patchwork of different countries dealing with new variants at different times and in different ways. So that clearly, that is the hangover still from from COVID and its variants. But our supply chain and port issues, and you know, I laugh, Joel, and say I'm a pretty good sleeper. I have a clear conscience. But if I wake up at night, it's usually about ports and looking at those graphs of the congestion of all the containers coming into our West Coast ports. And, you know, many of them, they wait so long to get unloaded that it's cheaper for them to return back to home base empty for the next load to come back to the U.S. than it is to wait and be reloaded with a U.S. agricultural product or, in our case, a dairy product. Those kinds of issues have really compounded at certain times. The fall was difficult as we were doing our holiday shopping as American consumers, we all love to do, buying from Southeast Asia, buying from China, really adding to the port congestion. So our companies have really had to be creative. They have, many of them have bought their own containers, their own chassis. They're looking at storage in a different way. We've worked very closely with the administration and with Congress on remedies. But these issues, while they started in 21, we are still feeling the impacts as we're well into 2022. Just uh, just today, I think, we received an announcement about uh, a new activity, a new partnership to ease port congestion uh, here on the West Coast. Uh, maybe you could comment just for a moment about uh, the practical aspects of that improvement. Well, we certainly appreciate the administration's um, approach to this. They've, they've listened to us as exporters. Um, Secretary Vilsack obviously understands these issues firsthand. He has been a strong advocate within the government. Congress, as well as the administration, I think, gets it that agriculture needs some help. And these pop-up 
um, situations first in Oakland and now in Seattle, I think really do help eliminate some of the short-term issues that these ports are, are facing. We saw some difference with Oakland with this kind of situation. We believe it will have the same benefits in Seattle as well. We want to see more of these types of actions, but just applaud the administration for um, listening to us, being available for us to talk about how difficult time it is. Um, I was just in South America last week, and we can talk about that a little later if you want, but one of the issues with new customers, with customers and markets, we hope to really expand and grow in Colombia and Peru, for example, they actually mentioned that the ports issues impacting them. And one supplier said, I had to go to your competitor because you know I couldn't get product from the US. Something you never wanna hear is a customer saying, I want your product, I love your product, but I can't get it because of congestion in ports. So I had to go to a competitor. I hope we'll, we'll win that person back, that company back. I believe we will. We worked hard to, to build those relationships. We wanna be a good trading partner. So the, these um, short-term or long-term, frankly, investments um, through this pop-up situation and other types of infrastructure investments are so key, I think, to being able to honor um, existing contracts, but also expand them. When your goal is to help animals reach their full potential, health matters. Diamond V offers a fresh perspective on animal health, a perspective that supports gut health, strengthens immunity, and ultimately enhances performance. For those who choose to invest in keeping healthy animals healthy, Feeding Diamond V makes a statement about another dimension of profit, where margins are measured by confidence in your future. To get a fresh perspective, visit DiamondV.com, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. We've also seen information from your office uh, about what we might call unfair trade practices that you've uh, that you find in the in the marketplace, mm-hmm. and and you've done some work on that. Tell us about that. We have, you know, we, we continue to push this administration as we have all administrations for multilateral, bilateral trade agreements. We need fair access. We know we can compete if the if the field is level. If um, we have, you know, equal footing trying to get into a market, we've been able to make some changes in places like Vietnam um, and Indonesia, but we need lasting real commitments to these markets. You know, we are at a disadvantage in many markets around the world where our competitors have done a, a better job lately, frankly, than we have um, as the U.S. in providing access and providing lower tariffs, less barriers. So we're not going head to head with equal on an equal playing field and in many cases. So we continue to push and continue to try to um, encourage the administration to look for ways to to help us open those markets and, and create a more level playing field. Well, when you look to uh, USDA and the government to be of some help here, it, it must be an interesting and helpful situation where uh, USDA Secretary Vilsack is, uh, is your predecessor in your role. Well, he's certainly a friend of dairy, and he has been, you know, from day one of his first term in the Obama administration. He understood dairy. He always has respected dairy farmers to a great degree based on just his interaction in his home state of Iowa. But it's really helpful to have someone sitting at the helm who gets exports, who knows how valuable they are for U.S. farmers and U.S. companies and cooperatives and manufacturers that we are very productive in the U.S., very efficient farmers. We know what we're doing. 
we produce more than we can consume here in the U.S. We're only, what, four or five percent of the population. So exports are very key for growth in these industries. Um, he is a great friend to our industry, obviously has some ethic firewalls that we honor to the letter without direct contact. But we know that what he learned and his passion for our industry and for exports is, has not gone away. Well, that's, of course, good to hear. Uh, let's shift gears for a moment and think about that catchword that we are all paying attention to in not only dairy, but across our economy. The word is sustainability. And you entered your role, your new position with a background in that side of the, of the industry. Talk a little bit about your background and, and how is that part of uh, your, your plan with USTEC? Thank you, Joel. You know, I am the daughter of farmers, not dairy farmers, but peanut farmers down in Georgia. So I have learned very early age how valuable our natural resources are for farmer success. I was taught, you know, as a, as a young girl and throughout my career to protect, to use wisely all those natural resources. And it's something that has shaped my philosophy, my career, uh, my attitude about our role in agriculture, and also helping the rest of the world understand, and even U.S. consumers, I might add, um, that farmers really do care about natural resources. They're committed in every way to making sure they're making wise decisions, wise investments. They continue to update their farming practices. They continue to look for solutions. They want to be part of the answer, not a problem. And I believe dairy, you know, first and foremost, and one reason I wanted to work in this industry, frankly, um, a few years ago when I left what I was doing and came to work for dairy, it's because of those commitments, those very ambitious goals that they have set. Our farmers have the lowest um, GHG emissions per gallon of milk than any dairy producers in the world. And I'm very proud to go, you know, to talk to customers no matter where they are and talk about that commitment. Um, talk about their commitment to being um, GHG neutral by 2050. I explained we don't have all the answers today. There's definitely um, more research needed, maybe some genetics, feed rationing, how we deal with manure. There's certainly things that we are continue to improve on. But when you have an industry that says, hey, we want to do that, we're committed to that. We're part of the answer, the solution. It's very easy to go talk to a buyer, a potential buyer, about that kind of that kind of commitment. And sustainability comes up. I don't care where you are in the world. Um, buyers, purchasers of dairy and dairy products want to know about our sustainability record. They want to know about our commitment to sustainability. And I'm just very excited that we have a good story to tell. And I frankly believe it's just only going to get better is I see these farmers just so committed in making investments. Our processor partners, the same kind of commitment as well. We lead, we lead the industry globally on these issues. And I take it you're finding international customers are putting the same, uh, I'll say pressure, but, but uh, have the same goals as, as, as our domestic milk buyers in terms of having a sustainability story to tell and a, success, a, a successful record. You know, they really do. It doesn't really matter what corner of the world you're in. The questions that are asked, the attention and focus on sustainability, on environmental issues, 
it, it really doesn't matter. It comes up always. We had a farmer mission back in November. We took a number of farmers to Dubai. It's one of the places that we do business in the Middle East and Northern Africa. They very much like U.S. products, U.S. dairy in particular. We actually had the farmers showcase to a room of 100 people, buyers, supporters, partners. Each of these farmers talked about their commitment to sustainability on their farm. Marilyn Hershey, the chair of um, DMI, was with us. She had a video walking her farm, talking about her commitment. Our, pre- our My chair, Larry Hancock from Texas, um, talking about the difference in his farm and the, you know, the investments he's made, the decisions he's making to be more sustainable. Alex Peterson, my vice chair, a grass-fed Jersey farm, dairy farmer from Missouri, talking about the differences on his farm. For us to be able to showcase, Joel, the diversity of U.S. dairy um, across the country in size and style of farming, type of farming, but the common themes often are the commitment to the environment, commitment to good, you know, sustainable, nutritional product, part of a healthy diet produced in a sustainable way. It, it is just a message that resonates. I don't care where you are in the globe. It's a powerful message. It's a meaningful message. And it becomes more and more part of the dialogue and talking with, with customers. Well, domestically, we hear a lot about and, and are happy that our U.S. producers are so efficient. Uh, how does this uh, compare with the, our competitors, uh, whether it's uh, the New Zealand folks or Europeans? How does our sustainability efforts, uh, how do they compare with our well, competitors? Joel, you might get me in trouble because I just feel so strongly that we have the best story to tell. And I, you know, I, I get irritated and I know I'm going to get in trouble, but I'll say it anyway. You know, there are parts of the world that can just show a pretty picture with some brown cows and a grass, uh, grassy field and say we're most sustainable. Well, it looks pretty, but, you know, it really is behind the data and the numbers and the overall commitment. And I believe our farmers are the best. I truly do believe that. We do have wonderful resources in this country. We're extremely blessed and we're using them wisely. And our story may be more difficult to tell, a little more complex, because we are diverse. So it can be the larger confined operation or the grass-fed operation or a really small operation, but they all are making great strides, great having great achievements and successes on their operations. I just think our story is so much richer. It is so diverse, um, and it's based around data around measurement, around metrics, and the goals that the, you know, the dairy industry has set itself for, for improvements and changes over time. So I don't let anybody say that there have better dairy farmers or dairy industry than we do. I call them out pretty quickly. And sometimes I might get in trouble, but I do believe we have the facts that, that show our commitment to the environment. Well, as we talk about challenges in the international marketplace, we're all horrified by what's happening in the Ukraine with the Russian attacks there. From what I've read, it won't necessarily have a great impact on U.S. dairy exports, but could you give us your perspective uh, from from a U.S. deck standpoint? I'm certainly happy to, Joel, and it comes with a heavy heart. I think about all Americans feel the empathy and the compassion for the Ukrainian people an admiration for their strength, for their courage. As it unfolds day by day, you know, I think all of us are, are just heartbroken what's happening. 
there's not a real business case, direct case for us regarding this um, invasion. We have not exported to Russia in some time. They do produce dairy. They also get a lot of um, products from Belarus. So it's not a direct impact on us. I think every industry is, and all people, frankly, are worried about food insecurity and what the impacts this might do, food cost, feed cost, I think are things that are on um, all of our minds. All those inputs that go into dairy farming and manufacturing could be impacted depending on the length of this um, situation. Um, So even though it's not a direct impact on exports, it certainly is, um, I think, one that hits every dairy farmer and every dairy company, um, just like the rest of America and the world, frankly. Well, we appreciate those comments. Shifting gears and as you look ahead, what are some of the markets uh, and regions that you see holding great potential for U.S. dairy as you look down the road a a, a little ways? Well, you've heard me talk about, Joel, and I'll continue to talk about diversification. And we learned during COVID that we certainly need to make sure that we're expanding our footprint in markets. And I'm pleased that that work started. It certainly was expanded under Secretary Vilsack's leadership at U.S. DEC. And I've tried to advance that as well. I mentioned I was in South America last week. I believe we have great potential, very good markets for us already in places like Colombia, in Chile, in Peru. I believe we can expand there They're close neighbors. They love U.S. products. Cheese is in great demand um, around the world, certainly is in certain parts of South America, um, the Middle East, um, Southeast Asia, you know, already important for our ingredient markets, even getting more and more important, important. But then, you know, there's 16 countries in the Southeast Asia. So we're looking at a variety of countries, not just that region, but looking at opportunities within um, that vast region. I'm always trying to, you know, um, we hope we can expand our portfolio there. That continues to be a challenge. Taiwan is a very good market for us, Korea. So Japan, you know, we are naming the names of places where we have a footprint that needs to grow and expand. And I would say South and Central America, we have great opportunity as there are newer markets for us, markets I think that we can grow the portfolio grow the um, value and the volume there. So, you know, and I I couldn't, I would be remiss if I did not mention Mexico, Um, always, you know, a number one market for us, a a critical partner, but, you know, we have to look beyond just the comfort um, of traditional markets and continue to grow um, around the globe. Let's take a little bit longer look ahead. I was really struck last fall at World Dairy Expo when recently retired, and he wasn't retired then, uh, Tom Gallagher, head of DMI, was speaking to, a, to an audience there, and he uh, used the number 30% uh, of U.S. production being exported in the future was his vision. That's a pretty big jump, pretty big number. What sort of potential do we have if, if we can carry on in the way that we've been doing? Well, it was funny, Joel, because I didn't know he was going to say that. Um, I teased him afterwards and said, you could have given me a heads up. But, you know, it's hard to disagree with that. I think we're on pace. How quickly we get there will depend on a number of things, and that includes production and price. Um, I think the demand will be there. I honestly do believe that our competitors, New Zealand and Europe, are our biggest two competitors. They don't have the capacity. They don't have the resources or maybe the will, frankly, from their own people and governments to expand production in a way that we can. 
we're a vast country with so many resources and so many great farmers and manufacturing opportunities. I believe that we can. I think it's up to us, Joel. It's up to us as an industry. Do we want to expand and grow? Um, I'll often say exports may be the reason that next generation comes back to the farm because they see the excitement and the potential of really expansion of growth of a hungry world that needs dairy protein and in many, many cases just cannot produce it enough itself. There's dairy production in many countries, but it, they're capped at what they're going to be able to produce themselves and our competitors won't be able to fill those orders. So why not the U.S.? I, I believe we can get to 30. When we will, I don't know. We're probably, you know, I think without the headwinds of last year with ports and some of the issues, we would have been at tweeting. We were at 18 percent. Um, of our production. I think we're closer to 20 if things were were whatever normal. And I'll say that in air quotes because I'm not sure what normal is anymore, but without the ports and supply chain issues. So I think we'll continue to grow. I think there's a commitment from our industry. It's excitement about um, helping to feed a world. And I underline helping because we won't do it our, all ourselves, but we can help so many places have a much healthier strong nutritional value diet and um, I believe you know if we want to it's ours to take. Well I think that's a very exciting thought for for all of us really uh, and we appreciate you being with us today. We're speaking today with Krista Harden the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Thank you Krista for being with us. Thank you Joel for the time and thank you to your listeners.